Several years ago, there was a commercial, and I just love this commercial. This guy comes home early from work, and he is tidying up the house, and he's setting the table with candles and flowers, and he's getting everything just right. Then he goes into the kitchen, he starts making this incredible Italian feast, and he is doing the red sauce, and he's chopping up onions, and he's busy at work. And about that time, the the front door opens, his wife gets home, and she's coming in the front door. At the same moment she's entering the house, their white cat jumps up on the counter and knocks the pot of red sauce off the stove onto the floor. Then the white cat jumps off the counter into the middle of the red sauce. The guy reaches down and picks up the cat and has the knife he was chopping onions with in his other hand at the moment his wife walks into the kitchen. Now that is incredible misrepresentation. And it is just true that nobody likes to be misrepresented. I don't like it. You don't like it. We like to be represented correctly. Now, I want us to look at a few passages of Scripture real quickly to get us started. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And let's look at verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. You let my word stand as I have said it. Don't misrepresent me. Look over at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. And look at verse 5 and 6. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. Do not misrepresent what God has said. It will not fare well for us. Look at 2 Timothy. Flip over to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It's going to lead to further ungodliness. So God says we need to be diligent to make sure that the way we speak the words of truth represent the truth as God said it. And any other words that are not parametered and boundaried and moved by the truth as God said it becomes empty chatter and will lead to ungodliness. Make sure that you speak what God says the way God has said it. Okay, let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. How we might misrepresent God. Think of Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times have you heard this verse used to encourage someone to believe they can play the game well or they can win the game 
or they can have success in their job, or they can overcome a difficulty and charge through with some kind of victory or good occurrence or powerful showing of God's ability through them. I mean, you hear that a lot quoted to people. People are saying, this is what God says. Be encouraged. You can do all things through Christ, and they literally mean whatever they're facing through faith in Christ who strengthens them, they will rise to the occasion and have the power to do that very thing. But is that really what God says? What about Matthew chapter 18, verse 20? It says, when two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst, in their midst. This is a verse that people will use to encourage people and even themselves about what God will do when we gather together in his name, that he'll answer our prayers, that he'll listen to us and give us particular attention because there's more than just one of us gathered in his name. And because of that, we have this certain command because we're gathered in his name and an expectation of what he's going to do. The spirit is there in some spectacular way because there's two or three gathered together. And we're going to expect God to do a great, mighty movement because we gather together in his name and there's two or three of us there. I've heard people say things like when two of or three of us get together in his name, we pray and we study the scripture, we're like a church. That's what we are because God's there in our midst. But really, is that what God is saying? Is that what he's saying? What about Matthew chapter 7, verse 1? Do not judge. I remember one time I was sharing the gospel with a, a young man, and I began to talk to him about what he believed and wanting to share with him what the Bible said. And he said to me, I'm not really into that because I don't get into judging other people's beliefs. I don't think we're supposed to judge other people's beliefs. Have you ever heard anyone say to you, don't judge. I'm not judging you. This is not about judging you. Hey, we're not supposed to judge anybody. You, you, have you heard this? People saying we don't, we're not supposed to really judge anybody because that's, that's against what the Bible says. But is that really what... God says. God doesn't want to be misrepresented. And words matter. And when we quote scripture to someone to encourage them, to give them direction, to give them insight, to give them you know, motivation, we are speaking for God. And he does not want to be misrepresented. Now the reality is that most of us here, if we misrepresent God... We are doing it with the best of intentions. I mean, there's no one here tonight that says, you know, I'm really into this. I really get excited about misrepresenting God. I I like to confuse people and deceive them and make them think that God says something that he never said. It's awesome. You should see him light up and then experience the devastation of realizing it wasn't what God said. It's amazing. You know, nobody here tonight is doing that. If we're misrepresenting God at all in the things we say that God says... We're doing it with the best of intentions. We, we don't mean to represent, misrepresent him. In fact, if we're misrepresenting God in our lives, we believe we're really representing him. Now, the good thing about that is that it means the fix, moving forward towards less misrepresentation and more proper representation, is really pretty easy. We all want to represent him. We're eager to say what God has said. So that God is heard, not us. So the fix is pretty easy. It can begin simply by just making sure that you become aware of the fact that you bring to what God says 
certain notions and pre-understandings, that, that you're coming to a knowledge of the Bible and of particular aspects and verses in the Bible with some pre-understandings. You, you've been exposed. You, you've, had, you, you've had certain experiences and interaction with the Bible through friends. You've had conversations with people. You've heard people say things that God says. You've heard him quote scriptures and circumstances. You've overheard what's been said. You've had conversations with people that you are friends with in small group Bible studies or in Sunday school. You've had Sunday school teachers teach you things. You've been experiencing things about the Bible all of you to some degree so that you are influenced by a pre-understanding of what the Scripture means. If you become aware of that reality, then you can begin to check your pre-understanding by not relying on familiarity. I mean, how many times have you heard this phrase, don't judge? You're familiar with that verse. You may not have known the reference tonight. You do, Matthew 7, 1. But do you really know what that means? Are you just so familiar with it and all that you've heard about it from preachers, from teachers, from family, from experiences, from the internet, whatever, that you think you know what it means? And so you're just using it on the basis of what you understand from all of these experiences around the text. We shouldn't rely on your familiarity. You ought to see that as a potential enemy. And say, I don't want to assume that I know just because I've heard it, just because someone else has said it. I don't want to rely solely on what somebody else has said. I don't want to just rely on what my parents have said or what my Sunday school teacher has said, what my preacher has said. Not that those people aren't trying to represent God well. You ought to read and know yourself. I can remember years ago, I was, I was speaking one time on Moses and out of Exodus, and I said this statement. I said, you know, Moses, his parents were Levites, so Moses is a Levite. You know who the Levites are? That's the priestly tribe in Israel. Think about the influence on Moses by the priestly tribe of Israel. I just went on. Everybody's just like, okay, yeah, whatever. You know, and, and after I was done, I was like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Moses is the one who established the priestly tribe. How could that have influenced him at all? He's the one that influenced it. I'm an idiot. You know, it's an honest mistake. And people make honest mistakes at times and say things about the Bible and for God that don't mean what God meant. And we need to make sure that we're not allowing this experience around the text to prevent us from going to the text ourselves. And when we go to the text ourselves, the thing we need to do after we submit to the Lord our familiarity, our pre-understanding, our exposure to the text, when we submit that to the Lord and say, we want to know what you have said, not what we think you have said, not what we've heard that you said, but what you have said. Then you come to the text and you want to read it like it's meant to be read. You want to read the Bible like it is meant to be read, like God wants you to read it. This last week, I was with a family celebrating Thanksgiving. We were going to do a little deer hunting. Let's just say that one evening, I decide to spend a little time in prayer about whether or not I should go deer hunting the next morning. I mean, you got to get up really early. It's holidays. It's nice to sleep in. But maybe this is the morning the big one's going to come. 
And so I began to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, do you want me to go hunting? Is this the morning that you're going to sovereignly bring the biggest buck I've ever seen? I mean, let's just say I did that. I'm not saying I've ever done that, but let's say that's what I did. And so that's what I'm praying, and I just know the Lord's going to show me. And so after I finished praying, I decided I'm just going to pick up my Bible, and, and I'm going I'm to open it to Isaiah chapter 35, because I know that on Sunday, Jared's going to preach out of Isaiah 35, and I'm just going to read that passage, and I get to verse 6. And verse 6 says, the lame will leap like a deer. And all of a sudden, I realize I cannot act like a lame person. Tomorrow morning, I've got to get out of bed with these legs that work. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to go out to that deer blind because the Lord is going to bring a leaping deer right in front of me. Yes, Lord, I'll be there. Thank you that you'll bring the deer. I mean, let's just say I did that. I, I didn't. I'm not saying I never have done that, but, but I didn't do that. But if I had done that, what would I have done? I, I would have read the Bible without paying attention to the Bible. You see, God doesn't want us to read the Bible and inflict a meaning on the Bible that we have determined that we need and want. If I come to the Bible and I give the Bible its meaning, then words in the Bible don't matter at all because every meaning ascribed to it by the reader is of equal value and God has said nothing. You see, this is not how God wants us to read the Bible. If if the understanding of Scripture and the meaning of Scripture rests with the reader, we have no hope of knowing God. The fact is that God has determined the meaning and intends for us to read the Bible the way it was meant to be read. So, So when you come to the Bible and you and you open the Bible to read it. If you're going to read the Bible the way it was meant to be read, you need to have at least two biblical presuppositions. You need to approach the Bible with a presupposition. You need to have a perspective set in your mind that does not change in the reading of the text. That sets your focus on how to read the text. Presupposition. The the idea and the truth that you need to have in your mind when you come to the Bible, first one, is that God wants you to know Him. When you open the Word of God, you need to come to the Word of God knowing and believing and embracing the truth that God wants you to know Him. And He has put in the Scripture, in these words, a revelation of Himself that He wants us to know so that we might know Him through faith in Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. Presupposition number one, God wants us to know Him. Presupposition number two, the second thing you need to think as you approach the reading of God's Word I can know him. 
I really can know him. Do you realize that from the moment you were born, you have been practicing the very thing that enables you to know God? You see, God has chosen to communicate himself, to reveal himself through the words of Scripture. He's chosen language, our language, to reveal himself. From the moment you were born, you started figuring out how to understand what was said to you. From the moment you were born, you began to observe what was said, how it was said, in what light it was said, and perceiving what was meant by what was said. Your whole life, you've spent time, enormous amount of times, figuring out the meaning of language. God has designed us so that our whole lives has been a practice of the very thing that's necessary to know Him, to be able to read His Word with the presupposition that He wants us to know Him and the presupposition that we can know Him because He's revealed Himself in language so we can know who He is. If you'll approach the Bible with those two presuppositions at least and then begin to employ two practices, it will help you so much in being able to speak words for God that actually represent who God is. The first of the two practices is when you open the Bible, pay attention to the context Look at the words of Scripture and notice where those words are placed. What verses are around those words? What sentences connect to create that paragraph? What paragraph is around that paragraph? What chapter consists of those paragraphs? What book is that chapter located in? And what place does this whole book play in the unfolding of the entire Bible. Pay attention to the context. God has placed every sentence and every story of the Bible in a context that is perfectly suited for you understanding the meaning of what He is saying. But you will miss who He is if you don't pay attention to the context. Context is supreme. You will find the meaning of who God is in the language that he has given us in the scripture within a context. So pay attention to the context. And please be encouraged tonight to know that the only context you need to understand everything God wants you to understand about himself is the biblical context. You don't have to feel like you're an expert with all kinds of resources and you don't have to feel like you have to have every kind of input from all other sources. All the context 
for understanding what God has said is found right here within the parameters of his word. He supplied everything we need in order to understand him through the language of the Bible that has been placed into a biblical context. So, so pay attention to the context. Don't ever read a passage and fail to pay attention to where that passage is and why that passage is there. Be careful to pay attention to the context. The second practice that you should employ is pay attention to the language. Just pay attention to the language itself. Now, for those of you who are in school and you're taking English classes and you're dealing with English grammar... God has given you a great gift. It is the most important class you'll ever take. And it is essential that you give every effort to grammar. I'm not joking. I know it sounds ridiculous. And you can't imagine that a preacher would say that to you. But I believe that. And it is proved in the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself in language. And so you must understand and pay attention to the language. On a sentence level, pay attention to the nouns and the verbs. Pay attention to who is doing the action and what action is being done and who is receiving the action and why the action is happening. Pay attention to the parts of the sentence. You got nouns and you got verbs, and nouns and verbs make up the major parts of sentences. You got different kinds of sentences. Look to see what kind of sentence you have. Is there a conjunction in there? It connects two complete sentences, or is a conjunction that's connecting an independent sentence, a sentence that can stand by itself, or a dependent sentence, a sentence that cannot stand alone because it can't stand alone because if you just said that part of the sentence, it wouldn't make sense while we were jumping up and down. What? what? What next? I mean, that can't stand by itself. It's an independent clause. And the next part of the sentence would be the independent clause. It would stand alone. And, and, and what you'll find is if you pay attention to the language and the nouns and, and the verbs and all the supporting information, you will discover that if you can identify the main parts of the sentence, the, the primary independent section of the sentence. This is the part that can stand by itself and be a sentence and you can strip all the other stuff away and this is the heart of the sentence. When you get to that, you know what you found? You found one of the primary clues to what God is saying about himself. Pay attention on the sentence level to the language God has chosen to use to reveal himself. Pay attention to the language on a story level. So much of the Bible is story. And God has chosen story to reveal things to us about him. So pay attention to the language of story. Now here's the great thing about story. Just like the way we have learned how to use language and use proper grammar and understand the construction of language because we use it every day as we can bring that to the scripture. We also love stories. We love to tell stories. We love to hear stories. We love stories. We're a story people and God has chosen the vast majority of scripture to be story. And every story is given so that we might understand more about God. 
So don't read the stories as if you're reading history. The Bible is not a history book. This is not the same text you have in your history class. It's just recounting the past. No, the Bible has taken historical events and God has inspired authors to write about those events in which he worked with particular and specific language so that through the language that is very particular, he might reveal something very specific and particular about himself. And so pay attention to the story and how God has told the story so that we might understand a little bit more about who he is. So pay attention to things like repetition. When you see something repeated several times in a story, there's an emphasis there you should pay attention to. Pay attention to dialogue. You see people talking in a story. There's something important to be seen in the dialogue. Pay attention to who the characters are. There's usually just two or three characters in every biblical story. And normally one of the characters in in the story is God. And he's typically the hero of the story because every story is there so we might know who he is. Pay attention to the pace of the story. Does the, does the pace speed up in a particular area? And you go over a vast amounts of time just like that and then all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt and you're now living out moment by moment in a particular day of a particular hour. When the pace changes, God's trying to say something. Pay attention to how the story unfolds and how it crescendos to a problem or a conflict and then how there's some kind of resolution that occurs that brings everything to a fix, everything to an answer. And look how it's answered because something in the answer of the problem of the story is going to tell you something about the God you worship because he wants you to know him. Pay attention to the language. You need to remember one key when you open the Bible to read it, if you're going to read it the way it's meant to read. The one key is that the Bible is Christocentric. The Bible is about Jesus. See, there's a story in Luke chapter 24 where a couple of Jesus' followers are walking down a road to a village. This is right after Jesus is crucified, and they believe Jesus is still dead. And Jesus shows up on that road and approaches them. They don't recognize him because they think he's dead. And he says to them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they say, where have you been? We're talking about this guy named Jesus. And then Jesus begins to explain with the Old Testament how everything in the Old Testament has been written so that we might understand him. You see, everything in here has been written the exact way it's been written so that we might know who God is and speak for him accurately. This is all about knowing Jesus. If if you will come to the Lord and say, I want to lay down the pre-understandings, the way I think about you and your word, and I want to submit that to the text, to what you have said. And I want to read the Bible the way it's meant to be read. I'm going to come with these two presuppositions. You 
want me to know you, and I can know you. I'm going to come with these two practices. I'm going to pay attention to the context, what's going on in this area of Scripture. I'm going to pay attention to the language, how the sentences are written, where the nouns and the verbs are, and everything that's supporting a sentence and making it a sentence. I'm going to pay attention to the stories and why they're being told, the way they're being told. And I'm going to look to understand more about Jesus because you want me to know you. I mean, think about Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's in a context. It's, it's in a series of sentences. It's in a paragraph. It has connections to it. When Paul says, I can do all things, he did not mean He could do all things. He was not saying, I can fly around Jerusalem like Superman. He he, he didn't mean all things. If if we understand the context, we pay attention to the language, we make the presupposition that God wants us to know him, and we can really know him, and we go looking for for Jesus in in the scriptures. You you know what we're going to find in Philippians 4.13? We're going to find that what Paul is saying there, what God is telling us there, is that through Jesus Christ, when things are really, really good, I mean so good that we could rely on the things that are good, through Christ, we can still find our sufficiency in God alone. He's saying to us there that when things get really, really bad, so bad that we might begin to question whether or not God cares through Christ, we can still say that my sufficiency is completely in the Lord so that whether things are great or whether things are terrible, I can walk before God satisfied in Him through Christ who strengthens me. No, I cannot do all things through Christ, but I can fail. And I can succeed and still find my sufficiency in Christ alone. That's who Jesus is. And that's how significant he is to our lives. Now, now, what you need to go do is read it for yourself. And then represent him well. And say what he really says. Matthew chapter 18. Two or three are gathered in my name. There I am. You know, that, that whole passage again is in a context The context is where God is telling us that he is like a shepherd who is seeking after lost sheep. And we can all identify with being lost sheep straying into sin and departing from the Lord. And God wants us to know that he's after the one who's straying and that all heaven rejoices when the one who's strayed into sin is found by God, the shepherd who's after the straying. He doesn't want us to stray. He doesn't want us to miss him. And one of the means God has employed in seeking out the straying is the church. In Matthew 18, that section talks about how the church is supposed to join God in seeking after the straying. And God gives us directions on seeking after the straying. And in verse 20, he reminds us Then the difficulty 
of someone who's walked away from the faith and trying to run after them. And as hard as that'll be, and as difficult as that'll be, and as hard as it'll be when they don't return, and you have to continue to pursue them with God's agenda and directions, as hard as that is, He's reminding us in that moment, I'm with you. I'm with you in that moment because I'm the one who's after them. Not you without me. No, you're after them because of me. I'm after them and you're with me. I am there with you because I'm the one that's after them. You're not doing this alone. I'm right there with you. Let's keep going after them. You see that? That's that's what he means. So, So read it for yourself and represent him well and say what he says what about Matthew chapter 7 don't judge again it's in a context we want to pay attention to the language we want to pay attention to what Jesus is saying there and most assuredly Jesus is not telling any of us that we should not judge someone else in fact it's quite the opposite Jesus is actually commanding us to judge others now isn't that interesting that people have taken what God has said and they so twisted it that they're actually saying the opposite of what God says and giving God the credit. God does not take lightly to that. We need to be careful that we say what he says. And in that passage, he actually is telling us to judge other people. But this is what he says. First, before you judge anyone else, you take the beam out of your own eye. You remember this? He says, take the beam out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to help your brother with the speck in his eye. So yeah, you see the speck, you identify the speck. Most often we probably think the other guy's got the beam and we don't have anything. But God's saying, no, you've got the beam. If you see something wrong in your brother, rest assured you have a beam. Now you come before me in my holiness, you won't have any problem seeing your beam. You come under my judgment. You won't have any problems seeing your beam. And you take the beam out first. You let me do the work of my cleansing in you. Then you will see clearly. And you will make a judgment. And you will come alongside your brother or your sister. And you'll help them with the speck from the perspective of humility and having experienced a more severe judgment than you're bringing to them. You will go as a helper who has made a proper judgment that will enable them to experience the same grace and the same mercy that you've experienced. Jesus is not telling us not to judge. He's telling us to judge first ourselves, then our brother, and walk together in grace. Go read it for yourself. See what he says. And then represent him well. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says these words. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Jesus' disciples asked him what it meant. What Jesus is getting at is that we're all defiled. There's not a one of us who's not had something come out of our mouth that has not defiled us before God. 
not a want. But Jesus is the solution for our defilement. He and he alone can forgive our sin. He and he alone, through faith in him, can issue forth to us his righteousness. You know the way you should not react to this series of words matter? Is by saying less before you go before the Lord with your defilement and let him wash you with his cleansing grace and allow his grace and his power to begin to transform you so that you might speak more and more as a representation of what he has said. You know the greatest way to respond to this series Come before the Lord and trust his forgiveness and then start speaking for him by sharing the gospel with people around you. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. We are sent to proclaim the words of Christ. So start talking for God more and more because of grace and introduce others to the same God of grace who's forgiven you. There are no words that matter more than words spoken for God. So use all of yours for his glory and for the furtherance of the gospel.